You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Tim Dorsey on the show with me. He has an amazing new book. It's the 25th book, if you can believe that, in the Surge Storms book. It's called Mermaid Confidential, and if you've loved any of this series or looking for a place to jump into the series, this is a fantastic book. Um, I, I love it, and I know everyone else is, too. Mermaid Confidential, available everywhere now. Welcome to the show, Tim. Oh, thank you very much, Hank. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Um, Tim, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? I well, that's I was actually doing it before I realized I wanted to do it, uh, but I had a uh, – there's a little manual typewriter that uh, my folks had and I started playing with it when I was about 12 and I started uh, just, I don't know, writing humorous essays. I mean, but you know, at age 12, they were far from humorous, but, right. uh, but <laughs> they were but humorous to you. I was trying to write. Yeah. I, I was, I don't know. I, I was, uh, at that time I was actually influenced by like, uh, Ronan Martin's laughing and, um, in mad magazine. And <laughs> so I was, uh, and I, but I was a weird kid because it was like you know, twelve, and I was writing, uh, I was trying to write political satires, and I was, I was writing things about the Nixon administration, and <laughs> what I, I vividly remember that, um, that that was my earliest memory when I really uh, decided. I remember I was a sophomore in high school, and I I was talking to uh, a writer of the Associated Press last night, and. We're talking about how we hated reading because of, you know, the stuff that they would give you in the curriculum back then. It was so stuffy. And uh, but then we got turned on to some, uh, some you know, irreverent, you know, iconoclastic books, you know, like uh, Catch-22 and uh, all the stuff by Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, and yeah. we're like, whoa, this is reading. Reading can be this much fun. And uh I was, you know, you try to emulate your heroes, you know, sports figures or rock bands or whatever. But uh, I was in awe of the writers. And so I said, this is what I want to do. And I was 15 specifically when I made this my life goal. And uh, and so I just kept uh, then I started writing for reals, you know, trying to you know work toward this. And uh, so I wrote for the high school paper and then I got to college and I wrote for the college paper and then I got out of school and uh, joined a regular, you know, daily, you know, newspaper and kept doing that until uh, I could finally get my first book uh, done and in and accepted. You know, Tim, when, uh, when you, when you really get into the surge storm series, uh, Kurt Vonnegut is not the first uh, person that I think of, but now that you have said that, I totally see the connection there. There, there's something about the uh, kind of wry sense of humor way of looking at things. Um, has that 
you know, I, I know that, that Vonnegut was was obviously an influence on you, um, but you know, is that something that you that you think about? Uh, you know, paying homage to him, even on a very off the cuff sort of way. Well, I, I hope it would be. I don't consciously think about it because I mean, I've read, I've read like just about everything he's done, and so it's just kind of there as yeah. part of training. You know, in other words, um, the, the one thing that uh, the, the big influence he had is just to uh, is just to unfetter your imagination let you you know don't don't try to control it or you know like you know metafiction breaking down the fourth wall you know and, yeah and, you know and he would have himself in the books sometimes and he would you know and as a narrator and, and it was just it, his imagination went so wild that i, I said you know, just don't you know don't rein it in at all you know but, you know, you can go places that you probably never thought of before. So that's the that's the biggest uh, influence, and it's in a lot of the books. I mean, just uh, like in one book, I had um, I had a narrator as a character, and he's hanging out with Coleman, and he gets too drunk to continue narrating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know that that's one that's one memory of uh, of doing that. So. You know, speaking of uh, you know wanting to write satire, and and as a twelve year old, um, you know, not that twelve year olds can't write, um, uh, you know, really funny stuff or even satirical stuff, but um, one thing that only comes with age and experience is the the subtlety that is needed to to write good satire. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be right on the nose and it, it, it benefits from not being on the nose but from being subtle and and you know getting to a point by kind of going around the point um when do you feel like that 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 skill um that you really started to capture that skill of of being able to see a thing and address the thing without just plowing right into it it, it was gradual i mean i was writing humor columns uh, for my college paper, and then I, when I was with a regular newspaper, I also continued writing humor columns, and those are less subtle. Um, yeah. But uh, when I started writing these books, some of the, some of the best, uh, you know, some of the funniest stuff I found, especially like reading other authors, is not where you just take a big rubber mallet and slam it down, you know, like in, like in a, you know, midway. Um, but it's just when you toss something aside, just let it lay out there. You know, and uh, let the reader pick it up. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, just you, know, you you don't do a big build up. You don't call a lot of attention to it. You just you know, you just use your uh, you know, like you said, well, just subtle. You just you, you have a thought, and you don't you just don't overplay it. You know, you, you, it's like uh, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. Right. Just so. Yeah. Does some of that come from uh, the form itself? You know, when you're writing a, a shorter column, you kind of need to get to the point. If you're writing a novel and you've got 100,000 words, give or take, to play with, um, there's a lot of subtlety that can go, you know, into 100,000 words. And, and, you know, a lot of story that you can, you know, sort of bury things in, for lack of a better word. Um, but when, when you're dealing with a 500-word column or 1,000 words or something, you kind of need to get to the point. Yeah, it's like it's like a stand-up comedian versus, you know, a monologist. You yeah, know, it's like stand-up. You know, needs to be bam, bam, bam. And uh, but that's absolutely true. I mean, it's like if, you know, if you're writing, uh, 
you know, there's, there's areas where you have humorous concepts that you work into, but then there's other areas where you're just, um, you're just describing, you know, you're setting up the chapter, you're setting up where they are, you know, and, uh, and you know, and, and just working toward the plot. And, you know, within that, you know, you could just, you know, drop in a little, you know, line, you know, in a, in a paragraph that's, that's purely, you know, intended, you know, just for setup or to, you know, to build the scene or to build the character. And, and there's a lot of room to play there. Yeah. Tim, if I'm not mistaken, you were born in Indiana, but grew up in Florida, uh, spent some of your formative years working, uh, around the Southeast and in Alabama, I think, uh, and then settling back in Florida, your, your stories definitely have a Florida Southeast, uh, American feel, um, to them. The, the sense of place is tangible. Um, you know, is al- almost a character, uh, in the books. Um, but being from Indiana and I'm assuming that you have some family connections in Indiana, um, they're, I'm always intrigued by how a sense of place affects the kinds of stories that we tell or the kind of storyteller that we become. Um, do you feel like that Indiana has any pull on you or any influence on you at all? Uh, I, I, I was too young when, when I left. I mean, I was born there and I was just very small. So I don't really have any influence, you know, from there. Uh, but, uh, Florida, definitely. I mean, I grew up and I had just all of my, you know, just early childhood memories and, you know, just fishing and playing Little League and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And it's, it's you know, Florida is, is a lot, well, it's a lot different now than it was then, but it's also, it's always been a lot different than the rest of the country. You know, I mean, I never yeah. saw snow until I was, you know, in my mid teens, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, just, it was um, the main thing about Florida. Just remember what a great childhood it was. I mean, a lot of people say, "Oh, my childhood, oh, it was horrible," and this and that. And I'm like, "Really?" I mean, it was, <laughs> I was in the right time and place. It was just, it was like this tropical Huck Finn, you know, just running around barefoot and, you know, just you know, go down to uh, we were near the coast, and there's the intracoastal waterway with bridges, and just go fishing off the bridges as a kid. And it was, it was just such freedom. You could do a lot more when you were a kid back then. It, you know, it was a safer world. Yeah. Uh, but. Well, now with, with Mermaid Confidential, we are now up to the 25th book in the Surge Storm series. Uh, wh- where did Surge come from? What was, you know, and looking back, I, I'm sure that you had no idea from the beginning that, that he would carry you as far as he has, or, you know, you would get to go on this journey along with him. Um, but wh- where did it all begin? Well, it was, it was actually an accident. It was, uh, I was doing the first draft of Florida roadkill and I had, you know, and I've heard other authors, you know, talk about, you know, when you're starting, you know, look for the best and try to emulate them, you know, and, uh, and see what they do, you know, and it was, uh, like Travis and Meyer were, you know, Johnny McDonald's characters. So I, I started, I said, well, let, let me have a couple of buddies, you know, and I started with those and, uh, and, as I was writing the book, I, I was creating a villain. And, uh, I mean, my favorite villains are like the James Bond villains, you know, they're just larger than life. Yeah. Uh, Over they, the uh, yeah, they're in there, but like, you're really intelligent, you know, borderline criminally insane, you know? And, uh, and so I wanted to create a character like that, 
so that the confrontation, you know, and the tension would be, you know, that much higher as opposed to just having a street level, you know, robber or whatever. And uh, so as I was creating him, um, you know, the other thing going on in the book was I was trying to get as much Florida and Floridiana. And, you know, I really liked when other authors would tuck in, uh, you know, trivia and real places or whatever. And I said, well, that's where I'm going to go really hard on that aspect of it because I would, would love to you know pick up a book you know as much of that you know in there and so at one point since Surge is unstable um, and I had all this stuff I wanted to get in and you know not enough plot to hang it on but I had at one <laughs> point I during when I was building up when I was actually you know backgrounding Surge you know at the beginning um, I had him go off his meds and he uh he ended up uh, like climbing up this highway sign and, and giving this rant. Uh, you know, truck stopped traffic and TV. You know, trucks pulled up and everything. But he went on this rant about Florida, and it was, you know, it, it showed how crazy he was. But underneath it, it, it kind of made sense. And I, and I crammed a lot of Florida in, but not in a way where I didn't want to cram it in. You know, so that it was slowing the story down or you know i was indulging myself and boring the reader so i i had him deliver all this florida you know stuff in, in a very i'd say probably a different way than uh, it might be done otherwise and uh, after i finished that one i'm going okay i like that you know and then he, he went along and i kept building up his his knowledge of florida and his uh how much he was a florida file and I think he did a second rant. And after that second one, I said, okay, I need to rethink this whole book. You know, in other words, in other words, this is my main character. He's the villain, but he's, he's the main character because he's going to be the mouthpiece for Florida. And, uh, it's, it's kind of an anthropomorphic, uh, you know, rep representation of the state, you know, which in a way, like you're mentioning is the, uh, you know, main character. And so yeah. that's how I got it. You know, that was about, you know, maybe halfway through the first draft. So when I went back and did the subsequent drafts, um, I, I reconciled, you know, him being the main character from the very beginning. And, uh, and that's how it happened. You, know, you, you just start writing and you, you don't look down, you keep going and it, you, you surprise yourself and, and uh, uh, possibilities open up that you hadn't planned. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. Things We Never Got Over. The new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. Bearded bad boy Barber Knox refers to live his life the way he takes his coffee. Alone. Unless you count his basset hound Waylon. Knox doesn't tolerate drama even when it comes in the form of a stranded runaway bride. Naomi wasn't just running away from her wedding. She was riding to the rescue of her estranged twin to knock him out Virginia, a rough around the edges town where disputes are settled the old-fashioned way with fist and beer, usually in that order. 
Too bad for Naomi, her evil twin hasn't changed at all. After helping herself to Naomi's car and cash, Tina leaves her with something unexpected. The niece Naomi didn't know she had. Now she's stuck in town with no car, no job, no plan, and no home, with an 11-year-old going on 30 to take care of. There's a reason Knox doesn't do complications or high-maintenance women, especially not the romantic ones. But since Naomi's life imploded right in front of him, the least he can do is help her out of her jam. And just as soon as she stops getting into new trouble, he can leave her alone and get back to his peaceful, solitary life. At least that's the plan until the trouble turns to real danger. Things We Never Got Over, the new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. An Innocent Client, the first book in the Joe Dillard legal thriller series. A preacher is found brutally murdered in a Tennessee motel room. A beautiful, mysterious young girl is accused. In this best-selling debut, criminal defense lawyer Joe Dillard has become jaded over the years as he's tried to balance his career against his conscience. Savvy but cynical, Dillard wants to quit doing criminal defense, but he can't resist the chance to represent someone who might actually be innocent. His drug-addicted sister has just been released from prison, and his mother is succumbing to Alzheimer's. But Dillard's commitment to the case never wavers despite the personal troubles and professional demands that threaten to destroy him. Chosen by BookBub readers as one of the top 100 crime novels of all time, get started on this great series with an innocent client where it all started. Read for free with Kindle Unlimited or buy it in paperback or audiobook. An Innocent Client by Scott Pratt. Over the last five, maybe ten years, um, it's kind of become a meme that uh, crazy stuff happens in Florida. And you'll you'll see news stories. Florida man wrestles alligator and, you know, gets leg chewed off or, or something. Um, you know, it's just some of the most madcap um headlines that you could dream up and you just tack florida man on the front of it and and you know there it is and um serge is kind of the embodiment of a florida man isn't he well it's become but it's it's kind of uh interesting where i mean he he was um you know he was doing uh he was doing his thing you know uh before that whole phenomenon right exactly <clears throat> and uh and and so then, you know, the, you know, the Florida man and, and the reputation for craziness, you know, came up and that, that actually helped as far as, you know, with the series, you know, it, uh, in other <laughs> words, I mean, I guess at the beginning they said, well, these are pretty, you know, weird books and some people were loving them and some people were hating them. And, and, but then, you know, with all the strangeness that went around and how our reputation built, you know, uh, you know, as far as that it goes, that uh, people were, were more oriented toward expecting craziness from a Florida book, and uh, it's a, uh, I don't know, it, it's just been a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, you know, Carl Hyacin was starting it way back, you know, way back before, uh, you know, we saw this on the horizon, and uh, I remember, you know, loving his books, and there's other there's other authors, uh, not necessarily funny, but uh, you know James W. Hall and Randy Wayne White, you know, and others. You know Eddie Buchanan were, were writing this sort of stuff, you know, way back. So you know, it's finally. Uh, I I don't know if I don't know if Florida started getting crazy, 
or people <laughs> just started to notice a lot more. Right. I think the internet kind of opened the doors for other people that that were not familiar. You know, I live just a couple of hours away from from Florida and in, in South Mississippi, and um, you know, it's 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 good times. It's it's you know, they're they're kind of that. Uh, that wild cousin that you, you know, get to hang out with a couple of times a year. And, um, yeah, anyway. I mean, it's, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's always been there or growing right. you know, over the years. And, uh, but, uh, now it's kind of like our cash crop, you know, right. people, you know, it's, it's, uh, late night comedians, you know, mine it for everything it's worth. And, right. Uh, you know, so. Hey, anyway. recognize your strong suits and run with them. That's what I say. <laughs> so you tim you said that you know uh when you started writing that some people loved the character in the series and some people you know hated it um there's there's something to be said for um uh for um you know getting getting people to uh to be passionate about it one way or the other um you know the the worst thing that could happen and there's a a thriller writer that that i have followed for you know almost 30 years um and his early stuff i absolutely loved and he was just doing interesting things with the genre and and you looked forward to that new book coming out every year and then the more he's published um you just kind of get lukewarm on it because you know that about 80 percent through the book he's just going to kind of let the cat out of the bag and it's just going to um it's going to end too easily and he kind of takes the the easy way out and and that's not that's not ever where you want to be as a writer um to to get the reputation that that well you know i, I may pick up the book or i may not because uh, i know it's going to be an enjoyable story and it, it, the characters i'm going to love but you know it's just not going to be satisfying in the end um have you ever come up against that in your writing uh and and thought you know i'm uh I, I don't love it anymore uh, and had to take some time away. Like, like how, I guess what I'm asking is how do you prevent that from happening? Because, you know, with mermaid confidential, it is just, you know, um, gas pedal to the wall all the way through as they all have been. Um, how do you maintain that level of, of love that you have for the character, for the, uh, for the setting and for the series throughout 25 books? Well, I mean, the love's there. I mean, I, I love the, uh, <laughs> I love writing about the material, and I, and I, I really, you know, enjoy writing a lot. Uh, I guess, I guess the main thing is uh, what you have just said. You know, I consciously think about because when you start, you know, getting way up there in the numbers of how many books are in the series, you you are aware that uh, you've got your audience out there, and it's like uh, it, it could, they could very easily, after that many books, say, "Yeah, maybe I'll skip this one and get the next one." I don't have to get every one, and so. You're just aware of it, and it's just a matter of sitting down and planning when you're going to do the book. It's like, you know, what what will – and it works both ways. You know, what will maintain the reader's interest, but, you know, more, more importantly, if, uh, if something will really maintain my interest, it will help me get there. And so I, I really uh, stop and think, you know, what, what what twist in the series can I do this time? You know, what uh, – you know, and, uh, you know – each book, you know, there's additional plot lines, you know, that intertwine, and and I often use those, you know, to create something new, and by those additional plot lines having something new, it gives Surgeon Coleman something new to deal with, 
you know, they, they, they always have their thing going. I mean, um, they're always road tripping and, uh, and just one thing that's helped is they discover new parts of Florida and new, you know, new arcane trivia and stuff <laughs> like that. And, uh, and when I point that stuff out, you know, a lot of people either identify with it. Oh, I remember I was there or whatever, or they look it up. I, I've got a lot of people say they, uh, they use Google earth, you know, to follow you know, the, the characters oh, while fun. they're going through the book. But, uh, but it's, it's just a matter of uh, remaining hyper-conscious about, yeah. um, you know, about, you know, not letting it get stale, you know, just like they got to come up with something, you know, new each time, right. you know, hopefully it'll fly one thing that i love about your books tim is that um you love to merge um uh you love to kind of work in in dichotomies things that that should not go together um but you mash them together in a way that uh that is intriguing and you know makes you makes you love these characters Um, what does the term lovable serial killer mean to you well, yeah, there's a dichotomy. I don't know. I mean, that's where like a lot of people, uh, like I said, would really want, like I said, passions uh, going both ways. Because if you have it, if it's just, you know, ho-hum, you, you won't retain readership. I mean, I'll never have the people who don't like it, but the people who like it, if there's just strong passions, you keep them. You know, and uh, as far as a serial killer, the thing is, is that um, – Living in Florida, and I found this out where most of the readers that I have are the, the most law-abiding, you know, the ones that you wouldn't expect to like the books. And, you know, it's the type of people who, like say, I, I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, I've really nice people, you know, grandparents and, and whatever, school teachers, and, and they'll say, you know, if somebody described this book to me, I'd say, I would never read a book like that. And I said, well, I read it, and I feel so guilty. Uh, you know, laughing at it because there's so many, like, uh, there's so many jerks out there, and you got to deal with such, so much hassles, you know, in Florida and all, all kinds of stuff. And you know, the nicest people just take the high road, you know, and bite their lip and just walk away, and, and that's that's the way you should do it. But you know, Serge doesn't walk away, so he's vicariously the person who gives just desserts to the people who infuriate us. And, uh, and so that's how I've kind of taken uh, somebody who should be reviled and made him sort of in, into a, uh, uh, an antihero of sorts that these yeah. people root for. Antihero is, is probably the best term I could think of. That's, that's fantastic for, for Surge. Um, your titles of your books always kind of give a, a nod to something we're going to we're going to learn in the book um, in Mermaid Confidential. Where do we find um, uh, Serge and Coleman? What what are they up to and where are they going to take us in this book? This one, um, I, uh, you know, I, I was spending a lot of time in the Keys and I, I really enjoyed you know, the area and. I was spending time, a lot of time in different parts of the Keys. I mean, I've done, they actually visit Key West, but I've, I've done books almost entirely in Key West before. And, and this time they, they kind of evenly spread it out all up and down the Keys. Um, so you can get into, you know, so that could, you know, uh, expose the reader to some things that they, they might not know about, uh, you know, as they're speeding down to Key West, you know, different, different parts of the Keys. And they, 
what I'm not really giving anything away here because it happens fairly early. And I think it's mentioned in the dust jacket copy, but, um, the conceit of the book is they're always road tripping. And so Serge says, you know, I, I, I we need to pump the brakes because, you know, we're always you know, tearing around the state and I kind of want to like slow down and drop anchor for a while. And, uh, and really in, in a place I love and really get bone deep, you know, into that part of the state. And so, they um, and Coleman says, "You don't mean, you know." And Serge says, "That's right. We're going condo." So they, uh, <laughs> so they. Well, the other part is he goes, "There's a there's a slice of culture down here that I really haven't, uh, you know, you know, immersed myself in yet." And uh, you know, and it's Florida is known. I mean, there are condos other places, but Florida is really known for you know the denizens of, of condo communities. So. Him and you call and they lease a condo and you move in and uh, and that's just I mean after that it really wasn't much work because you know, the book almost writes itself from that point you know he moves in and gets to know neighbors and gets involved in you know a bunch of stuff and and then there's uh and there's other things going around going on around the area which uh, helped me uh, you know show the reader. You know, that part of the keys, you know, it's it's those parts of the keys that um, you, know, you drive through. And a lot of it's very small town, but with this outrageous artery of all this tourist traffic going through. And, you know, there's a lot of stretches. Like I said, you know, most people are you know, on their way to Key West and they blow through these areas. and They don't really notice what they're going through. And so I have sort of stop and just point out, you know, everything that's uh, going on, you know, keys culture wise and these small little strips that they're you know they just you know are going you know over the speed limit you know and just breezing on by tim when when you start thinking about a new book um you know with with 25 books in the series i'm i'm sure you probably have have uh, kind of fallen into a routine where certain times of year are are you know times to to start dreaming up new adventures and you know, other parts of the year for publishing and promoting and things like that. Um, what, what is that, what is that time like for you when you start dreaming up the next adventure? Um, you know, are you, are you a guy that sits down and, and kind of draws out plot lines and, you know, they're going to be here and then they're going to go here and they're going to, you know, uh, bump into someone here that then causes this thing to happen uh, or are you more of a kind of listen to the characters and see what they're telling you kind of person? Well, it, it's actually for a little bit, I mean, I'm obviously somewhat neurotic, but it's at first, it's a kind of a tense time of the year because, you know, I'm starting with almost nothing. I mean, I have a lot of notes about, you know, additional things I can put in the books and episodes and, and, uh, but, but the, you need the main spine of the book. And, uh, and so, I try to think, well, I've done this, you know, and I've done spring break in this book over here and I've done, you know, and you go through and I'm like, well, what can I, you know, what, what, what can the spine be? And I, I literally will just be um, thinking about it while I'm driving around or in the shower or whatever. It's, you can't really sit down at the computer and get come up with it. Cause almost every time it's just been a moment, it's been, been a eureka moment, you know, where I'll just be like, you know, driving, you know, someplace, you know, down the coast or across the Everglades. And, you know, my mind's cleared. I'm just, uh, I'm just, you know, daydreaming about the next book. And then suddenly, you know, pow, you know, uh, it, it just, 
it hits. And once it hits, it's a domino effect. It's okay. That's it. And then, then here's how it's going to evolve. Here's going to be the ending. Here's, you know, along the way, you know, how, how it builds. So, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much my approach at that time of year. That, you know, after 25 books, uh, that that moment of inspiration where where an idea hits and then the dominoes start falling as you said um does does that ever get old you know does it ever become uh where you just assume that's going to happen or is there still some magic in in the creative process well i i only assume it's going to happen because it's always happened before but i but like i said <laughs> until it until it does there yeah. is that tension that this is going to be the one that's going to be difficult, you know, to have, you know, something, you know, just, you know, like lightning in a bottle, just, you know, suddenly appear. And I, now I got my, uh, you know, now I got my, my plot, what my guys are going to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, that's the only assumption is I tell myself, you know, if I've gone a couple of weeks and I'm not really coming up with something, I said, don't worry. You've always felt this way before. And it, all, and it always <laughs> works out, you know? Right. Well, I think I, I speak for all fans of the series and, uh, you know, I, I hope that the tension never leaves that because magic comes out of that. And, and for 25 books, it always has. So let's, you know, here's fingers crossed for you that that uh, that they keep coming. Uh, Mermaid Confidential is available everywhere now. We're going to have links to it in the show notes of this episode where you can go grab it uh, in uh, hardback edition or uh, read it on your Kindle or audiobook. Uh, whatever way you like to uh, to consume Tim Dorsey books, you can grab it now or run down to your local bookstore and support local books as well. Um, Tim, if people are excited about you know what you've told them and want to dig into all the stuff that you do, where can they find you online? And, and is there a, a proper way to begin the series? Do they need to begin over at book one? Can they start with Mermaid Confidential? Where, where do you prefer people jump in at? Well, they can uh, they can start uh, Mermaid Confidential. I mean, the one thing you try to do with the, the books, and this is by design, is not to like if you have a new reader and they pick up a book and they're lost or whatever. You always give enough background, or you you you, you develop the character quickly. You you let them know, okay, this is this type of character, so that they can you know go right in. In other words, you never want to have a book where it's required that they read previous books. If you know what I'm saying, yeah. you, you've got to have, you have to have each one stand alone. So, you know, uh, and then, and then if they jump in and they, they like it, you know, there's the list of books, you know, in the publication order inside, you know, at, at the beginning of, uh, of each book that they, the publisher lists and you can go back and decide, you know, how much you want to invest in the series and, uh, then go from there. Excellent. We'll put links. Uh, also, your website timdorsey.com has a, a a list of the books there, right? Yes, it's got a list. It's got the covers. Uh, it's got various stuff. I have a merchandise store. <laughs> Who would have thought that people would <laughs> want to buy, you know, surge shirts and stuff like that? But uh, but they're out there. That's and, so uh, funny. Excellent. Yeah, so well, we'll we'll put links there uh, to make it easy for folks to find you. Uh, Tim, been so much fun chatting. Thank you for uh, taking time to come on the show. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Mermaid Confidential. Thank you so much for having me. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves, the Jason Crane series.
Midnight struck. The Sandman had come. A few faint notes drifted through the rooms of 417 Gorybrook. The hollow wind testing the weatherproofing, the weak scritch of the persimmon tree against Zeph's window, and the drone of Hedwig's snoring. The old house shifted, creaked, and the shade of Agatha Van Brunt descended from the attic. Brahm? she called. The ghost paused, collecting herself on the stair. She passed a mirror, but the glass remained empty, reflecting only absence. Agatha would not have recognized herself anyway. She had been beautiful long ago, and still was in her own mind. Not a toothless and wizened specter. Not a blue chalk sketch of a hag half erased from the blackboard of night. She drifted into the master bedroom, disappeared into a shaft of moonbeams, and reappeared on the other side. She stood over Hedwick, listening to him snore. But Hedwick was not Brahm. She needed Brahm. She slipped through the floor into Zeph's bedroom. She stood over him for a long time, listening to the persimmon tree's weak coffin scratch on the window screen. Brahm? No, this was not Brahm. Not Brahm, her son. But she loved this boy. So much hidden potential. He reminded her of Dylan, her grandson. Dylan had slept in this room. Many, many times. But Dylan was dead, never to return. This boy, Zeph, was alive. So alive. Oh, would that he might remain so forever. Look at him. Who would consign such a handsome lad to the rot of death? Only a very cruel and blind god. Agatha brushed her spectral lips to Zeph's cheek. He stirred, scratched the spot, and rolled into his pillow. But Zeph was not Brom. Where? Oh, Brom is dead. She remembered now. Brom is dead, and so are Hermanus, my husband, and Hans, my brother, and old Baltus Van Tassel, and Katrina, all dead. Only old Agatha remains, after a fashion, to trouble the world. Her sense of herself sharpened and returned to her. She searched the rooms for the crane boy. She sensed him. Yes, here was the boy, sleeping fitfully, holding his animal. She extended a hand as if to reach into Jason's chest and take his heart in her talons. The dog woke, sensing Agatha's presence, and growled. Growl till your voice cracks, cur. I could kill this child myself. I could possess the man or the boy. I could take the butcher knife from the drawer. I could stride through the night in strong male form and dissect this child at my whim. Something struck her. Something blasted her up and away from the boy. She collected her energies again and tried to re-enter but could not pass through the walls. When she found her voice, it came as hollow and cold as wind through a tomb. Who is here? Agatha whispered, and her tone might have withered grass. Show yourself. She waited with growing confusion and anxiety. She threw herself forward and battered the door like a tempest. 
Who is here? She cried. But no one answered. <laughs>